How are we doing today? Good. We are in uh, Exodus chapter 13 and 14 this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to Exodus 13 and 14. Good morning, bud. I'm well. So today is the fifth in a uh, five-week series on Moses and the Exodus. And the first four weeks have mostly been about Moses. And today, we're finally going to get out of Egypt. I'm tired of being in Egypt. So we're leaving Egypt. This is a good thing. And uh, so a quick summary of where we've been so far. If you've got your hand out on your table. The children of Israel became slaves in Egypt. So Joseph walked them in several hundred years earlier. And then Moses rises to a position of Israelite leadership because of a conversation with God in a bush, which I think is one of the more interesting sentences I've ever written in my entire life. But, you know, conversations with God in a bush. Sounds like a good book, right, Matt? Sure. All right, then Moses and Aaron, they go and they talk to Pharaoh, and they demonstrate God's power using how many plagues? Ten, yes, ten plagues. And then Pharaoh uh, is convinced to let the Israelites go after the tenth plague, which is the death of the firstborn. So it, when, it, uh, when it impacts his family directly, he says, leave. So today is the Exodus part of Moses and the Exodus. And uh, we're looking at Exodus 13, verse 17 through 1431. So Exodus 13, you ready? Here we go. Verse 17, Then it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, for though that was near, for God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So what I did this morning is I used my mad map drawing skills and drew this map. Here you go. This is the Mediterranean Sea, M-E-D, because I don't know how to spell Mediterranean. This is the Egyptian area over here. It's kind of fuzzy in the Bible, loose borders and boundaries and whatnot. This is where the children of Israel are. This is Canaan, the promised land over here. They want to go from Egypt to the promised land. Now, those of you that did well in geometry in high school, shortest distance between two points is a? Yes, except if you're on a sphere, but we won't get into that. So straight line concept is from Egypt to Canaan. The only problem with that is that the Philistines were in the middle of that straight line. The Philippines, no. The Philippines are like way over there, right? The Philistines are in the middle of this line. Now, if you had enemies, because Egyptians and the Philistines were enemies, if you have enemies, what are you going to put between you and your enemies? Distance is good, right? But would you put some outposts or some forts maybe or some armed men? And that's what was happening on this road between Egypt and uh, Philistia. Philistia, I think that's the way you say it where the Philistines live. So there were all these outposts, the Egyptian outposts, to protect Egypt on this road. Well, God didn't want the Israelites walking through all of those outposts. This would have been incredibly dangerous. So he takes them down south. He takes them down south. There we go. And the only problem with that concept is now they are pinned in, right? Egypt's on this side, the Red Sea is on this side. So they travel a couple days' journey, and they stop right next to the Red Sea. So conceptually, that's where the story takes place today. So verse 18. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. So we talked about when Joseph walked into Egypt. He had 70 people. 
when Moses walks the children of Israel out, there are two or three million. So they took the be fruitful and multiply literally and did the whole thing, and now they've got a lot and a lot, a lot of people. Verse 19, And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. Now, Joseph had been dead a couple hundred years at this point. And if you think about this, they put his bones in a coffin, and they did not bury him. Put his bones in a coffin. So the coffin was just kind of laying on top of the ground somewhere, probably under a tent. It was probably a very special place to the Israelites. But every time an Israelite would walk past that coffin, it was, you know, we're not staying here. It was a visible reminder that we're going to leave this place one day. That God has said, we are leaving. And I think it's great that God goes back and he he includes this small little story because, quite honestly, do any of you really care where Joseph's bones are? I really don't. I, I really don't care where my bones are. Um, I've told my wife this a couple times. There's no way that she's not outliving me. So, I mean, she's, she's going to live along. She's got to deal with my death and all that, and that's whatever. But I don't care where she puts me. I really don't because I'm not about the bones, right? I'll be somewhere else. I'm not worried about the bones. Feel free to put the bones wherever you want. She's not even listening. It's awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. But God... God knew that this visible reminder was important to the Israelites. So every time they walk by, we're leaving. We're leaving. We're leaving. So Moses carts them up, probably along with Jacob's bones and Joseph's bones and several other patriarchs' bones from uh, Acts chapter 7. So verse 20, So they took their journey from Succoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by, in, by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from the people. Now, um, several of you email me questions each week about the text that's coming up. Uh, Lori emailed me something this week, and she said, Hey, I noticed this shift at this part in the story from God to Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the blank on your handout. This shift from God to Lord. What does that mean? Lori? I have no clue. Okay. But I noticed it too, and I thought it was interesting to think about. So maybe if you're doing your devotions this week and you want to meditate on that, it might be something good to meditate. There was something about this idea of there was a more um, clear presence of God when Lord is used versus when God is used, but there's some deep theological territory there, so I don't think we're going to go there this morning. So... Verse 22, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now, this story in Exodus 13 and 14 is, is an interesting one in the Old Testament because there are parts of the Bible where if you go and you read a text, that is the only place in the entire Bible where information about that story occurs. And that is not the case with this story. There are lots of other little places where they summarize, where a different writer hundreds or even thousands of years later will describe some other events. So keep your finger in Exodus 13 and flip over to Psalms. Psalm 84:11. Who's got it? Psalm 84:11. <clears throat> Go for it, Keith.
The Lord God is a sun and shield. Right? Let's look at uh, Psalm 105.39. We're going to put some of these concepts together and see if we can find out where their source is. Psalm 105.39. What's the next verse say? So this this is obvious. This quail story is obviously talking about the wandering in the wilderness and this spreading of a cloud. Now, this is an interesting time in our um, weather past to talk about this story because they're walking off into the wilderness, and in the wilderness, what do you not get a lot of? You don't get a lot of rain. And you don't get a lot of shade. It's hot, it's hot, it's hot. And what have we already talked about? The children of Israel went from 70 people to a few million. So if you've got birth rates that are ramping up like that, what do you generally have a lot of? Babies. They probably had a lot of children. Imagine taking lots of children into the wilderness. Sign me up? No. No, no. This was a very merciful thing that God could do, this pillar of cloud by day, to protect them. You see that? It's beautiful. Because I'd, I'd always thought about this pillar of cloud. It's like, okay, what does that do? It just kind of points the direction. Well, 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 1 and 2, Paul says that the Israelites are actually baptized. It's a blank on your handout. Are baptized into Moses underneath this cloud. Because what are clouds made of? Water. What's the theological concept for putting a human being underwater in the Bible? Baptism? Does it count if it's a cloud? Well, if God made the cloud, apparently it counts. Paul thought it counted. So God is baptizing his people as they are leaving Egypt because this is part of deliverance. He has saved them out of Egypt. And the first thing he does after he saves them is he baptizes them. Is that not neat? I thought that was pretty neat. So God baptizes the whole nation. One fell swoop. That would kill our pastors. <laughs> Two or three million people? Seriously, how do you pull that off? So interesting concept here. So verse so chapter 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before before Migdal in the sea, opposite Baal Zemphon, you shall camp before it by the sea. So we're now at that little circle spot on the map. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered or perplexed or confused by the land, and the wilderness has closed them in. Because Pharaoh's got spies, right? He's got messengers. This is still on the edge of his territory, and he's going to know where they're going. And when he sees them taking... This southern route, he's going to go, look at those slaves. They've been slaves so long, they don't know where they're going. Because they need to be going this way. Because they've talked about going this way, but they're going this way. This, is no, this makes no sense. So this would embolden Pharaoh. Verse 4, then I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, how many of you heard this story when you were children? That God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You know what this word means? It means to make strong It means to make strong. I don't know that if I misunderstood it when I was a child or if it was taught incorrectly when I was a child, but I understood that God turned Pharaoh's heart 
against the children of Israel. And that's not what the word means. It's basically you're energizing or intensifying what's already there. Okay? So think about, those of you that have done construction, when you're wiring an electrical outlet, what do you prefer to do before you start wiring an electrical outlet, bud? Make, make sure the power is off. That helps, right? If the power is not off and you attempt to wire an electrical outlet, what generally happens? You get intensified, right? And that's kind of the idea here is that, oh, we're going to go do that. And God just strengthened what was already there. Okay? So this hardening of his heart is an intensification of what Pharaoh already really wanted to do but wasn't really sure because when you're in a leadership position, many times you will look at a situation and you'll go, I really want to do that, but uh, I just, I don't know if that's the, should I? I'm not sure. So God just intensified that. And when he intensified it, he went after him wholeheartedly. So he intensified Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor, this is the Lord speaking, over Pharaoh and all his army, and that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Verse 5, Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants were turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? Which I think is one of the dumber questions in all of Scripture, because I can think of ten reasons why they did that, right? Right? I mean, this is, this is not rocket science here. But what happened earlier in the book of Exodus, one, somebody in the, one of the Egyptians makes the comment that there are more Hebrews than there are Egyptians. They outnumber us. They're the slaves. If the slaves outnumber the masters and all the slaves leave, what do the masters now have to do? Work. It had been about two days, maybe three days, and that's all it took. <coughs> to go back to doing the dishes that you hadn't done in 200 years and feeding the animals that you hadn't done in 200 years and all the other stuff that they did in Egypt. I don't know whatever else they did in Egypt, but they didn't have to work, basically. They just managed the work of others. So verse 6, So he made ready Pharaoh's chariot, and he took his people with him, and he took 600 choice chariots. These are fancier kind of Cadillac version of chariots that would hold three or four people as opposed to the normal um, We'll say, uh, what's a smaller version car? Uh, no, not a Mini Cooper. Mini Cooper's way too nice. What was that car that you had when we got married? Yeah, Chevy Cavalier. I mean, it, it was a piece of crap. It was just, it was an awful. We rode the, we literally rode the wheels. We literally rode the wheels off of it, though. We, we gave it to a junkyard um, because I went to get the oil changed in it. And the guy goes, well, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. Okay. He said, the good news is you don't need an oil change. It's kind of cool. He said, the bad news is you need a new engine. Oh, well, that's not good. So I said, will it drive to a junkyard so we can at least get like 200 bucks for it? He's like, maybe. You should have someone follow you, though. I was like, okay. <laughs> so we drive it to the junkyard. The guy gives us 200 bucks. The guy that inspects the car comes running in. Have you already paid him? The guy was like, yeah. He's like, because the wheels, all the bearings are gone. They're about to fall off. I was like, are you telling me that we drove it till the wheels fell off? <laughs> he was like, yes. I said, okay. So the regular chariots are like that piece of crap car that Julie had. <clears throat> the choice chariots are, I mean, they hold several people, and it's much, much bigger, all right? 
Yeah, my truck. There you go. All right. <laughs> Ready for battle, dang it. Made of iron or something. Okay. And all the chariots of Egypt with captains were over every one of them. Verse 8. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh the king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness or high hands. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, camping by the seaside beside Pihiroth and before Baal Zimphon. Here. So we're here. So they've made this trek. Now, they've been doing their own work for a few days. They get this immediate call to jump up and run out in the middle of the desert. So how do you think these guys are feeling? We're mad. We're angry. We've been storming through the desert for a couple days. Okay? So keep that in the back of your mind. We're going to come back to that. Verse 10, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. Holy cow. This is the Egyptian army. All of them. It said all his chariots went. He threw the kitchen sink at them. So they were very afraid. Yes. I think that's an obvious statement in the Bible there. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And you're like, yes! They get it. This is fantastic. They turned to their deliverer. They didn't start complaining. They turned to their deliverer for about half a verse. And then verse 11. Then they said to Moses, because the, I just want to do this in a whiny voice, you know. Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt so with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. So you want slavery over freedom with God? Really? Yeah, and that's, that's exactly the choice that they were making here. So verse 13. And I, I think this is an interesting opportunity for Moses, right? Because this is the first time that he has directly, publicly very visibly challenged on his leadership. And you can go a couple different ways when you are publicly challenged on your leadership, right? You can go, okay, no problem. Or you can determine that you're going to do what you had committed to do. So what does Moses do? Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. He's a smart man, right? You, you deal with the immediate problem. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see no more forever. The Lord will fight or engage in battle for you, and you shall shut up. It's the literal translation. It is. Hold your peace. Shut up. So he told them to do. A couple million people, they're griping. That's going to make a lot of noise. Right? I mean, a couple million people? Absolutely. Now, there's something interesting here. What did God tell Moses that God would do? A couple verses before. What did God tell Moses that God would do? Okay. Um, this is the response time. I grabbed my water bottle. There you go. Remember? What's that? He would harden Pharaoh's heart and that the Lord would fight for them. Did... did God tell Moses how? No. Moses didn't know the how. He's literally got his back 
up to the Red Sea. Millions of people in front of him, and he doesn't know how. And for me, this is a huge leap of faith to say that God is going to deliver you because I want to know the how. I want it in bullet point format, and I want it formatted nicely on one sheet of paper. In a spreadsheet, preferably. That'd be fantastic, right? Yeah, so I could sort it another way if I needed to. Right? Yeah, I, I want to know all the details. And God just tells Moses, I'm going to fight for you. He doesn't know how, and yet he's bold, and I think that's incredible. So verse 15, And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? What? Did we miss something? Because I didn't see in the text where Moses cried out to God. Did you see that? I didn't see it. I think it happened, because I'm not sure God would have accused him of doing something that he didn't do. But Moses didn't put that in there. Because remember, Moses is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I think God was nice to him and didn't have to include his, no telling what this prayer looked like, right? It probably made him look like a little girl. Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Where are they? Looking at the Red Sea. Go forward? Can you repeat that for just a second? That would be great. Right? Really? Verse 16, but lift up your rod. What? You remember how we talked about that God will use whatever's in your hand. If you don't have anything in your hand, that's fine. He'll use that. But he's going to use whatever you've got. This is, you know, the Christian life is not about stuff. It's about him using whatever you've got. Moses had in his hand a shepherd's staff. God said, raise it up. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide or break it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry land through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. Now this is broader than just Pharaoh, right? Now we're, now we're emboldening the entire Egyptian army. And they shall follow the Israelites. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army and his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now there's a verse in Exodus 5.2 that when we were going through this story of Moses and the Exodus that we skipped. When Moses and Aaron come before Pharaoh the very first time and say, God the Lord says to let his people go, Pharaoh asks this question, Who is the Lord? And why should I listen to him? God is about to answer. Now he's given Pharaoh ten really strong hints who the Lord is. But he's about to definitively answer that question that was posed back in Exodus 5. Okay? Verse 19. And the angel of God is the A capitalized. Yes. Who are we talking about? Jesus. This is where Jesus shows up. Okay? The angel of God, the pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. So where's behind them? The Egyptians are behind them. The Israelites are here. Jesus stands in the middle. Is that not awesome? He stood in the middle where the conflict was to defend his father's children. Now, if I was a preacher, I'd stop and preach right there. Okay? Because there's some good stuff there. 
and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. With what spirit are we baptized into the body of Christ? The Holy Spirit. This baptism mechanism stands behind them as well. The Holy Spirit is there. You've got Jesus there, you've got the Holy Spirit there, and the Father is talking to Moses. The whole Trinity showed up for this thing. This is amazing stuff. There's a reason that this is an a incredibly commented on portion of Scripture throughout the rest of the Old Testament. This was big. Verse 20, So it, the pillar of cloud, came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the Egyptians, and it gave light by night to the Israelites. Doesn't that sound like the Holy Spirit? Illuminating and darkening. Illuminating and darkening. So that the Egyptians did not come near the Israelites all that night. Verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided or broken. He broke a sea. I think that's awesome wording. He just broke it. God made it. He can break it if he wants. <laughs> right? It's no big thing to him. It's just another miracle. Verse 22, so the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. Now, we've all been to the beach, right? We've all been to the beach, and the, the waves come up, and the waves go back, and the waves come up. You're going to go to sleep, aren't you? And when the waves go back, the ground underneath is wet, right? And the ground underneath is sandy, and wet sand just gets all up in everything. So let's go take a couple million people through wet sand with a bunch of kids. How's that going to work for you? I'll tell you how that's going to work. That's going to be a mess. This was just the kindness of God, the whole dry land thing, I think. That was just, that's just being nice. It's like the cherry on top of the whole miracle. Verse 22, So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses... All the king's horses and all the king's men, they go diving into the sea, right? Verse 24, now it came to pass in the morning watch, because it's going to take a little while to get a couple million people over a few mile stretch of land, okay? Commentators vary wildly on where exactly this is. It doesn't matter where it exactly it is. It doesn't matter whether it was six miles wide or 12 miles wide. It would have taken it several hours to get a few million people over a several mile body of land. Everybody agree? Okay. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud. Now remember, are they in light or are they in dark? They're in dark, right? The Egyptians are in the dark, right? And he troubled the army of the Egyptians. Does anybody's translation have a different phrase of that? Confused. Anybody else? It literally means to make a lot of noise. How many of you like to be in the dark? I'm not a real big fan of the dark. I'm really not a big fan of the dark when it's noisy. All right, all of you that are married, it's the middle of the night, you hear something in the house, you're both awake. Who needs the other one, right? <laughs> Go check that out. <laughs> 
<laughs> She's totally got to go, man. I'm a big wimp. I'm a big wimp. I hate it. I hate it. I'd have made the worst Egyptian soldier ever. I'd been like, no, it's dark and it's noisy. Right? So these guys, so think about their emotional state. I, I like to think about the emotional state of the people that we're reading about. They have just lost, many of them, massive amounts of their property through these plagues, right? They've lost their sons, their brothers, their, some of them, their, their fathers. They've been storming through the desert for a few days. They're stuck in the middle of the dark, and now all this noise. How's that working for you? <laughs> That's not going to work well. That's not going to work well at all. So what happens to them? He looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians, and he took off their chariot wheels. That's just mean, okay? I mean, it's like they're in the middle of the sea, and they got these massive Cadillac chariots, and they just, God just takes the wheels off. What are you going to do with that now? You're going to have to get out and walk, right? That's a pain. So that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Well, duh. Okay. <laughs> Verse 26. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians and on their chariots and on their horsemen. Now, an interesting thing here is that there was this cloud in between the Egyptians and the Israelites, right? So the Egyptians would not have seen Moses stretch out his hand and his rod. And I don't know if they could see it the second time. And they probably thought, what's he doing? That's kind of weird. And the waters come back over. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth or returned to its flowing while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Now, several hundred years before, God had said, I'm taking you to the promised land, right? He had told them, that's where we're going to go. And it didn't look pretty. It wasn't a direct path. It wasn't nice and neat. It didn't fit into an Excel spreadsheet, right? But he does it by splitting open a sea and crushing the, mass, the most massive army on the face of the earth with a shepherd's staff because that's what Moses had in his hand. It's amazing. Absolutely incredible. So the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, and all the king's horses and all the king's men could not put themselves back together again. And not so much as one of them remained. That was a paraphrase there, sorry. But the children of Israel had walked on the dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Verse 30, So the Lord saved or delivered Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the dead Egyptians on the seashore. That's a heck of a sight for you, right? So they were in the middle of this sea. Water rushes in. Some of them would have been pushed up onto the side that the Israelites were. Some of them would have been pushed up onto the side where the Egyptians were. What did the children of Israel have with them when they left Egypt? A whole bunch of stuff, right? They looted, they plundered the Egyptians. The Egyptians handed them gold and silver. But did they have weapons? Because they're going into the promised land, and in the promised land are a bunch of bad guys, right? The Jebusites and the Hivites and the, all the otherites, right? All those folks that they've got to get rid of, and they're not equipped as an army. So what does God do? 
he lays out an army of weapons on the seashore for them to go down and pick up, and now they are staffed as an army. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty ingenious way to equip an army, I think, right? You just walk through and pick out what you want. Oh, that sword fits me, that's all. Here we go, I like that bow and arrow. It's just, they got what they wanted, and that was it. Now they're equipped as an army. Verse 31, thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses, and everything was fantastic for about two minutes. <laughs> and then they started griping again, but that's for a month from now, that's that story. Now, so basically, the bottom line is God did what God said he was going to do, right? Was there ever any doubt? No, because you heard the story when you were six, I know. But... It's amazing all the little things that God used to accomplish his purpose. So what's the point? Well, God will do things in his time. God will do things in his way. And God will do things for his glory. Never once did God tell Moses, I'm going to do this for your glory. I'm going to do this for my glory. So what do I need to do? I need to be content with God's time. I need to be content with God's way. And I need to be content with giving God glory. Real easy blanks there. Time, way, and glory. Now, if you want to see... Because I was interested in this. How I many of you saw the movie The Ten Commandments, Cecil DeMille? Um, the old school, you know, awesome, awesome movie. If you want to see how close he actually got to what the Bible says, there's a link there for you. Okay? You can go to the Sunday School website, click on the link. And then there was a commentary that I thought was just absolutely brilliant. This whole preface, it was about a page and a half worth of summary material on this whole story. Uh, J.B. Kaufman's commentary. i got a link down there for you as well. So... Neat story, huh? Amazing stuff. This is what God does. Probably the the most popular story in the entire Bible apart from the flood and maybe creation. The crossing of the Red Sea. It's amazing stuff. 